What is going on? Happy Wednesday morning. Still no Halford, still no Bruff, even though it is the Halford and Bruff show here on Sportsnet 650. It is Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair in once again in all week here on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. Uh, and also the Delari family of Acura dealers experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Izzy, how you doing? Wednesday, Good. we're we're we've done more than half of the early morning wake ups. That's the week. right. So it's all downhill from here, buddy. It is all <laughs> downhill from here. <laughs> I'm gonna give the listeners a peek behind the all right, curtain. Let's here, do okay? it. It's kind of common practice to start every show. By saying, big show coming up. Yes. Here's who we're talking to today. Actually, a big show coming up. We're not lying today. Yeah, normally. No deception. We've got lying a, we've through got our a teeth big, to big you. guest uh, who's, who's going to join us. The Canucks fans are going to want to yep. hear from. We do. And that's uh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. So I'll, I'll run through the guest list and see if you can spot the guest that we're talking about. So it's 6.30. Shy Davidi covers the Blue Jays for Sportsnet. Love Shy, not the guest you're referring to. Uh, at 7.30, Mike Tannier from Football Outsiders. Also love Mike. Also not the guest you're referring to. <laughs> Here we go. At 8 o'clock, Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau is going to join the show. So you're going to want to hear that. I understand he's back in town. Obviously, training camp just around the corner. The players are getting on the ice and skating together. Very exciting times. It, we're on the eve, Izzy, of Bruce Boudreau's first full season as a Canucks head coach. And, I mean... We'll get into it more later in the show, but Boudreaux has been such a fascinating figure in the short time that he's been here, and I'm I'm really looking forward to that interview and uh, to get a little insight into what he's thinking about the season, how he's going to approach training camp, and uh, as I said, the first full season uh, of him behind the bench with the Canucks. And at 8.30, a little more Canucks talk with David Quadrelli from Canucks Army. So we're really excited for that. Again, 8 o'clock, Bruce Boudreaux. Canucks head coach is going to join us. Make sure you tune in for that. Uh, 650-650. You got any thoughts about Bruce Boudreaux? Maybe any questions you'd like us to run by him? Hit us up uh, in the Dunbar Lumber text line. So all this week, it's been uh, our guy Andy, A-Dog, and Lena in the control room. Andy is flying solo today. No now, vibes. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, no director of vibes today. <laughs> there might me. not be a big noticeable difference because we haven't quite nailed down what Lena was doing in there, but I guess she was she was managing the vibes. So if the vibes seem off, we know why well, today. To, to be fair to Lena, she was posting all the video, doing all the social and stuff, so if that seems a little bit light. I know. I'm just, I'm oh, just, I'm just ripping I, Unfortunately, if the, the video <laughs> seems a bit light today, that that's my fault. Well, I mean, we do have. I'll it, try to vibe the best. It's I not. Can, it's not great because we have our most notable guest of the week that yeah, we might want to like put put clips out and right? stuff. <laughs> Anyways, I, I have faith in you, Andy. Big you, show. You we'll can manage. You can manage the vibes in there. Uh, six fifty, six fifty again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We haven't got our daily morning Jays text in from Sean and Delta. So, Sean, if you're out there, hit us up. Jays win again last night. Let us know how you're feeling. Before we get to that, though, let's go. It is what happened. <laughs> Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? We will start at the Women's World Championship, the latest edition of one of the best, most consistent rivalries in sports, certainly in hockey, Canada versus the USA. 
not one of the most notable entries in the series. I, I, it's not as it wasn't as lopsided as the final score made it seem. USA wins five two. Canada had a two nothing lead uh, at one point before the USA went on a run, added the empty netter late. So it wasn't as lopsided as you might look. But again, given the standard that this series has set, this rivalry has set, certainly not one of the most memorable installments. But this is my favorite thing about supporting a Canadian team at a major international tournament. When they lose to the U.S. in the round robin, you get to just say, ah, who cares? It's only the round robin. We'll, we'll see you in the medal round, guys. <laughs> I don't have to get upset about this. Right. This game doesn't mean anything. So that, that's my <laughs> that's my official stance on this. This game tells us nothing uh, about the uh, the relative strength of these two teams. Yes, if, if they uh, meet again in uh, with, with a medal on the line, I'm sure it'll be... Uh, Completely different. A, a different environment, a different atmosphere. Though, we talked to uh, Shayna Goldman earlier this week, and she gave some insight into the changes that the U.S. has made since the Olympics and that they've empowered some of their younger players yeah. and they'd had you know, their stalwarts as well, uh, like, like Canada has had for a number of years, but that this tournament in a lot of ways represented the start of something new. And I'm sure for those younger players, um, getting this win is probably feels significant, even if we can sit here and go, look, it's, it, uh, the yeah. one that matters is when the medal's on the exactly. line. Um, but. But every when but, you're building, it, it, you got to start somewhere. And look, I can say that as a fan, as a as a supporter of the Canadian team. But we know for those two teams, yeah, obviously the gold medal game means the most. But every game means a lot, right? Every win is significant for those teams, especially when you're the Americans and you've been on the wrong end of it recently, right? Mm-hmm. That was Haley Salvian tweeted after the game. She's with the Athletic covering the tournament uh, in Denmark. That was Canada's first loss at a major tournament since 2019. Now, there's been some cancellations, obviously, and stuff between then, so it hasn't necessarily been the volume you'd expect. But Canada has been the dominant team in recent years when they have played in this rivalry. So for the U.S., just to get a little bit of that belief back, I think it probably is significant from their point of view as much as I want to just brush it off and it is you know we talked about this a little bit with Shayna too it is really fascinating to see the kind of punch counter punch between these two programs because I guess it would have been the last world championship previous to the Olympics where the U.S. had been on such a dominant run of world championships and my assumption was well they're gonna win this one too like they're they they maybe they've pulled ahead maybe they've pulled ahead for good and they're Mm -hmm. just gonna flex their muscles and then what does Canada do? They flip the tables, right? They say, no, no, we've we've upped our game. We've got this speed and skill element now. They win the world championships. They win the Olympic gold as well. And look, great winning the Olympic gold. And now you come in and they've been on this run where they haven't lost since 2019. And it's the USA that flips the tables, right? That turns the tables on them. So it, it's, it's really fascinating to always see. They're always in the process of trying to kind of one-up each other. And, totally. you know, we'll see where it lands in the gold medal game. But, uh impressive start and probably a big deal just internally for the u.s to get that win right for sure yeah the back and forth is is the pressure point for for those programs and they basically every time they face each other they're holding up a mirror to, to one another to see what the other one's doing right like they, they, they're they're very much a reflection of each other and look i i hope that we'll get that that medal game and uh that it 
it's one that goes into the lore uh, of this rivalry. We are we are getting plenty of texts, uh, so I have no idea if anyone can even hear this right now, saying they're getting some dead air on the radio. I, uh, A-Dog is hard at work in the studio, on the phone, talking to the engineers. So I hope somebody can hear this, this sparkling sports talk radio that we're doing. Um, as much as that one wasn't, you know, the textbook example of a, a Canada-USA women's hockey game last night, it is still one of the best, most entertaining most consistent rivalries in sports right now. I mean, I think if you're just limited to hockey, right? Like, and you want to international hockey, NHL, whatever, it's clearly the best rivalry in hockey. I would say at the moment, do you have a pick for best rivalry just in sports overall right now? Izzy? man, uh, that's, I don't, I feel like rivalries have kind of declined around sports. I almost think you have to go to get to the really, the really heated, serious ones, you have to almost go outside of professional North American sports. Because the ones that jumped to mind for me were like uh, Duke, North Carolina. Okay. So that's North American, but it's not yep. professional, yep. right? Or uh, Barcelona, Madrid. Yeah. You know Liver- what I mean? Liverpool City at the sure. moment came to mind. And the thing with those ones, the historic rivalries that I'm talking about is... Now, usually when Duke and Carolina play or Barca and Madrid play, there is something on the line. But even if there's not something on the line, those ones feel serious, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Duke and Carolina could both be having total down years, and uh, neither of them's going to win the ACC, and they're not going to be top seeds in the tournament. But when they play each other, it feels like a massive deal, right? And I think the same thing we'd, you would say of Barca and Madrid, right? Like, even if one's way ahead in the table of the other one, they're not going to catch them or whatever, El Clasico is still a really, really big deal. I think to me that's kind of the mark of those rare historic rivalries where there doesn't have to be anything at stake even, right? Because I would even say, you know, Red Sox, Yankees, Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's still there, but it matters so much more when both teams are kind of in the pennant chase. You know what I mean? For sure. Like this season, it wouldn't really hit the same because Boston's not having that good. Mm -hmm. So that to me is kind of the ultimate mark of those great rivalries when it doesn't even really matter what's at stake in a larger sense. It's just about those two teams clashing and going for supremacy. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, How about Kevin Durant versus the Brooklyn Nets? (laughs) That's a pretty good one. I was trying to think of what the basketball one is right now. Yeah. There isn't well. It's so hard to Russell develop Westbrook those. Russell Westbrook versus yeah, Lakers Ru- fans. Russell Westbrook versus every team he plays on, <laughs> every coach he has. Russell Westbrook versus Pat Beverly. They're they're that going to be teammates apparently. Is, that's gearing up. Yeah, yeah, that one is gearing up for sure. There isn't really one in the NBA though, because it's so it's so with, with the player movement. You know, I guess people it was, really wanted Lakers Clippers to be a thing. Yeah, but it just never. It, it, and Kawhi hasn't played in what seems like forever. So it, it, that's that's not yeah the battle of LA did not take off as anticipated and the finals teams have been you know different and I mean I guess it would have been you know for a while you could say it was Cleveland Golden State because they met year after year in the finals but even that at the time you knew it wasn't going to survive like as soon as LeBron goes somewhere else that's yeah. there's no there's there's no Cavs Warriors rivalry no, anymore because no. it was all centered around LeBron and that's kind of the nature of it right now it, it travels wherever the players go uh, this text came in 650 650 Rangers and Celtic will always be the biggest sports rivalry in the world 
I mean, that's a really good one, uh, obviously, in the in Scottish soccer, because no that, that transcends sports in a big way. And there's <laughs> some very intense cultural and religious yes. and social uh, social practices and, and uh, things underlying that rivalry. We have another one here. Celtic versus Rangers is the biggest sports rivalry, so... Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's a good a good submission in terms of there are stakes far bigger than than sports involved in that one. Yeah, that one, and then there's the uh, like the Istanbul teams that they they go yeah, pretty hard. They go pretty hard. Yes, that there's no doubt about that. So keep your thoughts coming in about best, uh, biggest, most heated sports rivalries around the world of sports. Six fifty, six fifty. We are apparently going out on streaming. The radio signal is down. Uh, but we are streaming, so I always feel bad about doing this because it's like, well, if you're trying to listen on the radio, use the stream instead. But if you're trying to listen on the radio, you can't hear that message. But anyways, tell your friends. you got to stream us right now. So that, that's what's going on. Uh, continuing what happened yesterday, the Blue Jays. Another win, 5-3 over the Cubs. And look, another come-from-behind win. Mm-hmm. It's over the Cubs. Like, How much do you really want to celebrate Not it? just over the Cubs. It's true. Over Marcus, Mar- over Marcus Stroman, over Marcus Stroman, former Blue Jay, former Vancouver Canadian back in the day, Marcus right. Stroman. So that feels good, even though, you know, they didn't do most of the damage off yeah. of Stroman, but still, hey, you, you you beat Marcus Stroman, you feel good about that. They're still in that mode where they'll take any win they can get, right? Uh, like after that Angel series, you just need to do anything to rebuild your, uh, your confidence. I think the, probably the biggest story out of that one was Teoscar Hernandez having a really big game for the Jays in the field and at the plate. He had been under the microscope in that Angels series for a, a base running gaffe. He hasn't necessarily been hot at the dish, so if they can get him going, that could be really big in September. Elsewhere in Major League Baseball, uh, Tampa and Seattle also won. Baltimore lost, which means you're starting to see a little bit of separation in the wild card race. All of a sudden, the Jays are three games up. They're, the Jays are in the last wild card spots, a half game behind Seattle, a game behind Tampa. Uh, Baltimore and Minnesota are both three games behind the Jays. So for all the angst and anxiety about the Blue Jays and oh my gosh, are they gonna are they gonna blow this? Are they not gonna make the playoffs? Look, it's only three games. There's still a whole month of, ba- of ball left, so lots can happen. At the same time, I mean they're a better team than the Orioles. So with a three game cushion going into the final month. You absolutely should make the playoffs. And I said it yesterday. At this point, I think by far the most likely outcome is that the three teams currently in the wild card, in some order, Tampa, Seattle, and the Jays, are the three teams that end up end up there at the end of the uh, of the year. Yeah, that's fair. And the, the thing with the Jays is that they were supposed to be closer to New York and Houston than these wild card teams. That's heading into the season. They're yeah. they're in the big three. They're supposed to be one of the powerhouse teams we were talking about it yesterday still got a top three four offense depending on which mm-hmm. metric you want to go by so it's it, it's been largely down to the inconsistency that we have seen yep. and, and the players have now had no choice but to speak to a couple times this year uh, prior to Charlie Montoyo being let go and then this most recent stretch where bad good on the road come home and have a horrible se- series against the Angels uh that's it, been the the way it is for them uh but they still have enough you know, like between Gosman and Manoa, yes, the maybe the rotation depth isn't what you would like, uh, with Barrios being not even just inconsistent at this yeah. point, but mostly bad. Uh he's done enough to be serviceable, but mostly bad. Mostly bad. It, 
it is impressive, though, the way, especially recently, since they took Kikuchi out of the rotation, they've actually cobbled together a pretty decent run of performances yep. from their starters. And you look at what the bullpen has done since the trade deadline, and as much as I think there's fair questions about, you know, do they have do they have the stuff out of the bullpen to really be effective in the playoffs? To be fair, their relievers have been pretty good uh, since the trade deadline. So the pitching staff overall, again, with the the pretty notable exception of Yusei Kikuchi when he's gotten the games and Jose Barrios, <laughs> to be fair. But other than that, they've consistently gotten really effective starts. And you couple that with what you were saying about still having a top three or four offense, and it does kind of make you scratch your head. Like, okay, the, the pitchers are doing holding up their end for the most part. Why have they not gone on one of these runs, right? Why has it been two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back for so long? It is, it's kind of bizarre. And I said yesterday, I'm not going to use, you know, an extra innings win against the Cubs and say, all right, this is the turning point. They're going to get hot. <laughs> but a part of me does feel like there's so much talent here. They kind of got to get hot at some point, right? Like the pitchers are pitching. If the hitters just turn it up a little bit, they do have the potential to go on a run. They do. That's why people aren't giving up on them. It's more frustration, I think, than anything, right? It's not like this team. It's not that this team was misevaluated. Barrios aside, and very well could just be a blip Mm -hmm. in an otherwise pretty solid career. They have the players to, to do this run and. It starts with Vlad Guerrero and then the, the the rest of the supporting cast. When If they all click at the same time, yeah, they'll be fine. And it's true. You look at the teams that have had those runs this year. The Yankees obviously had an amazing start. Seattle had a middling start. And then they had this big they had run, a big run that put right? them in this wild card conversation. Houston's been pretty darn Very good consistent. from beginning to end. Uh, but even look over in the National League, Atlanta is well. Even had this great run in August. Even Tampa, it looked like there was a time. There was a time where it looked like Tampa was going to fall to the wild card race, and they've been playing some really strong baseball recently to kind of solidify mm-hmm. their playoff positioning. And it, it it just feels like the Jays have they have a really good stretch in them. We haven't seen it yet, and it's kind of again every win you're like okay is this the start is this the start you feel kind of stupid saying it because you've been wrong so many other times this year but i think eventually eventually that could be the case and hey who knows maybe maybe they get hot at the right time to use one of those uh uh, those great sports cliches uh final note in what happened another canadian winning at the u.s open great first round for the canadians uh at flushing meadows dennis shapovalov wins a tough five-set match uh, to advance in the second round. Good for Shapo, man. It's been such a up and down couple of years uh, for Shapovalov. And I know, you know, seeing some people saying he's actually playing some pretty good tennis right now, like just recently in the hardcore season, he's turned it around a little bit. So he really epitomizes what we were talking about yesterday, Izzy, where there's been so much excitement, but also so many lows and kind of false starts with his career. So look, it's one win at a slam. It's awesome, but you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but it's also it's good for him and for even not not just at this tournament, but for his future prospects to to keep showing these signs of getting back on the right on the right track. For sure, I mean he still has you know this incredible upside. I think as a player, right? And the he, he's in the the category where we talked about Felix yesterday, and it's like Felix has been really steady and consistent, and it has that demeanor, and we know that Chapovalov can fly off the handle. Oh yeah. But that's also part of what makes him this dynamic player. So And what can make him really entertaining to watch. Yeah. Right. For sure. And so getting these wins and not, you know, 
melting down, so to speak. But it, it is, you know, just the first first match uh, of, of the tournament in the first week of the tournament. For, for a guy like him, it's about putting together more of these runs and getting through the second weeks of, of the slams and, yeah. and making that making that the consistency. But you know what? Toughing out a five-set win, again, it's the first round, all of that, but it does speak to a little bit maybe improved composure, ability to, to stay in the moment, not have those meltdowns, those letdowns that we have seen uh, from Chapo in the past. I wanted to go back to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, get your thoughts. And we were talking about the best rivalries in sports right now in light of the Canada-USA women's game uh, yesterday at the World Championships. This text comes in. You guys are way off. The best is the Leafs and making it out of the first round. <laughs> That's a good one. But see, for a rivalry, one side, like there has to be some give and take. Yeah. <laughs> one side it's of that one is winning consistently. Yeah, that is just pure domination. That's a rivalry like the the Globetrotters and the Washington Generals is a rivalry right now. The Leafs aren't having much success in that one. Uh, another one, Lakers Celtics have been around has been around forever. But see this that that one is is a great example of I would almost compare it as a supercharged version of like the Canucks and the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not I'm not saying they're at the same level historically. Obviously, Lakers, Celtics, meeting in the finals, bird magic, I understand that. But my point is that rivalry mattered when those two teams were really good and met in the playoffs a lot. Now I know they had the, the meetings later with Kobe and those teams in the in the finals as well, but when those teams aren't good, that rivalry doesn't really matter, right? If they're not actually competing for the championship that rivalry is not on the map maybe there's still a little bit you know i know i I know you know when kobe used to go to to boston you maybe get mvp chance there there was a little bit of feel of an event but you would never say i i I think if you were to ask a celtics fan in like a normal year where they're not competing with the lakers for the championship you know who do you want to beat it would be the knicks it would be the sixers right it wouldn't be the lakers necessarily that one was great at the time but that's a very context-specific rivalry to me, right? That, 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 again, it was really cool, and it had some amazing moments, but it's not something that's going to be year in, year out, that kind of, oh, okay, it's Lakers-Celtics tonight. That's going to be a great game. Sure, I think that's fair. I mean, there there is that nostalgia point, and when the teams are good and people see the uniforms out there, that is in the, the Yankees-Red Sox realm, just that they don't play each other as much. The Yankees and the Red Sox in the All division, the time. they're still competing. Yep. Um, you get the two games a year. I'm sure the NBA would love Lakers Celtics to in the finals yeah. consistently be a, a, a great rivalry. But that is that is threading that needle with these rivalries. Is there's the the ones that pop in the moment. You think yeah, like Seahawks 49ers right. ten years ago, where yeah. it's just like that is the most intense football we've seen. Or you could even point to Baltimore Pittsburgh in the NFL. Like, yeah, th- these games are so intense. Yes, there is some historical back and forth, but not a ton. Like in Baltimore's case, that was a new team in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, Seattle was in the AFC for a long time. So it's not like they were necessarily going up again. Their, their rivalry actually for some time in, in the 80s was with Oakland, with the Raiders. So there's not that back and forth playing in Super Bowls and stuff like that. But in those, in Chicago, Vancouver, in hockey perfect example it's just undeniable i think some of the duke north carolina is a good example and 
and then the the European yeah soccer. Well, and we have this. The history is just undeniable, and, and the the fan base, the basic the hatred between the two fan bases is not, that doesn't go away, regardless yeah. of how the teams are feeling. And Alex and Pitt Meadows texts in uh, Lazio and Roma. I almost got swarmed when I attended a derby with my Roma shirt on, and those. Those European ones are just, they hit different, as the kids say. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything that can quite uh, approach them in North American sports. And if it is, it might be the college ones, right? Daryl from Toronto, Texas, Michigan, and Ohio State. Yeah, that's a really, really good one. Uh, we're getting some breaking news from Dog that the BC Lions have gone out and addressed their quarterback position. They've acquired Vernon Adams from Montreal. So we will uh, we'll try to get you some more information on that. But right now, we're going to take a break. Uh, Shai Davidi is going to join us on the other side. Back to school deals on the latest phones, plans, and much more are now on at Fido. Visit them in-store or at Fido.ca now. And Concerts West presents Pink Floyd's Roger Waters live in the round, September 15th at Rogers Arena. Get your tickets now at RogerWaters.com. More on the way with Shai Davidi. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. See. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff in the morning here on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. Uh, and the Delari family of Acura dealers experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Uh, we're going to be joined by Shai Davidi momentarily here. Lots of great texts coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar-Lumber text line about best rivalries in sports right now. So keep those coming in. We'll get to them throughout the course of the show. But it is now our pleasure to be joined by Sportsnet's MLB and Blue Jays insider Shai Davidi. Shai, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? I'm all right. What's going on? Uh, not too much. Uh, I I um I don't know how much I'm enjoying the 2022 Blue Jays roller coaster. How how are you enjoying the roller coaster, Shy? It's been pretty wild, and it, it, it's I can't I don't know if I have a comp for a season like this where it's just it, it's just peak or valley, and there's not really that level in between where a team is just kind of steady. It's it's been a really fascinating study and how players and clubhouses manage you know wild swings of the pendulum from one extreme to the other and uh, it's been it's been really fascinating in in a lot of ways speaking of extremes uh, a player who is uh, not uh, uh, has gone through his career with with quite a few is Marcus Stroman who was back uh, in Toronto started against the Blue Jays for the Cubs what was uh, what was that like covering Stroman's return uh, to face the Jays it was in a lot of ways, as expected, right? You know, he came in, he pitched fairly well. He was maybe a little bit unfor- uh, maybe a little bit fortunate uh, to get out of that first inning without too much damage, but he just managed to keep a lid on the Blue Jays enough uh, to give the Cubs a, a chance to win that game. He got a nice ovation, and then it was. You know, I I don't know what I expected. It just it seemed like he he kind of did his thing, and then the Blue Jays did their thing, and there wasn't much sort of beyond that. You know, there uh, he he said all the right things when he returned, and uh, and it was just this 
nice moment, but it wasn't this, it wasn't maybe as emotional as you might've expected. Uh, but I just think there's a lot of distance from now and it's two teams that are in different spots. So it wasn't electric that it, 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 uh, in the way that it might've been under some different circumstances. The Jays end up picking up the win, uh, second in a row against the Cubs, and Teoscar Hernandez played a really big part. Nice defensive play, big home run, and that comes on the heels of a, a, a Cardinals series where he was in the spotlight for the wrong reasons. I, I know you had a, a really good piece up last night talking about Hernandez's performance and, and what it means for the Jays. So, wh- I mean, what does that mean and the potential of Teoscar Hernandez maybe getting going down the stretch here? Well, look, that's what Teoscar Hernandez can be, right? The, where he's making a, a defensive play that changes the game, uh, and then he, he's up at the plate, and he takes a swing that changes the game, and it's that sort of two-way impact that he's got the physical tools for. Now, I mean, you mentioned the, the weekend against the Angels, and certainly it was not his, his finest hour, but what I think that he could take away from last night is that he found a way or he realized how much he can push himself on his foot right now and how much pressure and how much pain tolerance he can, he can handle. And it, you know, getting that confidence on that when you, when you're not playing at a hundred percent, learning how to play and find ways to contribute when, you know, you only have, a certain amount of your usual abilities at your disposal, that's hard. And doing that in the uh, the pressure cooker of, you know, the final month of the season, essentially, you know, that's even more difficult. So if, if that's Teoscar Hernandez finding a bit of a comfort zone, that's a huge development for the Blue Jays because, you know, it hasn't been his typical season, you know, for him, for, for in some ways, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., for Bo Bichette, even George Springer a little bit. They're, they're all trying to play through different things and, and overcome what's been some, some inconsistencies. And if they can find that, that a bit of a comfort zone of the final month, you know, that, that's a huge swing for the team. You know, you mentioned Teoscar needing to find that confidence again, and obviously specifically related to the injury and, and, you know, as you said, kind of figuring out what his capabilities are with the foot and the condition it's in right now. But as you alluded to a little bit at the end there, Shy, I don't think it's just Teoscar that maybe necessarily needs to find that groove and find that confidence. And I know, you know, John Schneider has talked about playing locked in, uh, playing with focus, all of that, and, and maybe it's all just – different words for the same thing, but at some point it needs to come together. And it it seems to be more on the mental side for a lot of guys on the team right now. I mean, to some degree. And part of that is that there's some, there's uh, physical elements to, to that too, right? George Springer is clearly not nearly at a hundred percent and hasn't been for a long time and is just trying to find just trying to find ways to, to contribute with, with what he's got. Bo Bichette's been out of the field essentially every day, uh, and even if he's not you know, dealing with one specific injury, there's no doubt his body's beat up. Matt Chapman's body's beat up. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has played through foot and hand things and wrist, uh, wrist issue uh, all year long. So there, there, is that out, there is a physical piece to it. But there's also that, as, as you mentioned, the, the, the mental piece too, where they haven't had the, the seasons that they maybe expected of themselves. 
And how do you overcome, you know, five months of up and down to, to have your best month when it's most critical and the games are most difficult? Uh, that, that's definitely a part, of these, uh, a part of this. And, you know, just having a bit of a conversation with Bo Bichette yesterday, he's saying, you know, this is, this, is all, this is a period where you can't worry about what the stats look like. It's what, what you can contribute, and how, you can, how you can find ways to make a difference. And it's not taking all this other stuff up to the plate uh, in, up there with you in your head. It's just clearing your mind and finding ways to, to, get to, to get the job done. So, you know, that mindset is a little bit universal right now. It needs to be. And we'll see whether you know, they can find that, that groove at, at the most critical hour. Because of the Blue Jays' inconsistency, Shy, I, I, the, the frustration in the fan base at times has been obvious. But I don't think, at, at least largely, that that has crossed over into people changing the way that they feel about the group or certain individuals long term. That I think there's an understanding that it is ups and downs and inconsistency, but that the, the, the raw talent and the evaluation of that talent is still there. However, if there is anything that stood out to you this season about an individual or part of the team, is there, is there an aspect of the Blue Jays that you think they is certainly a weakness, an area that they do need to address, that this is more than just, hey, they're having these ups and downs throughout the season? It's interesting. I've wrestled with that in a number of different ways, right? Where I've made some comps and and thought of them a little bit like the 2016 Blue Jays at times, where you just look at the group, you're like, why isn't this group producing offensively quite in the way that you think they should be? Mm -hmm. And then I've also looked at them a bit like last year's New York Yankees, where you know, that team was really hot and cold as well and was susceptible to these periods where they just went totally dry at the plate. And it just didn't make sense when you looked at the accumulation of talent that they had there. And it is the difference between last year's Yankees and this year's Yankees just that simply just that Aaron Judge is having an absolutely monster year. And next year, if, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is having another monster monster season he's having a very good season but if he just has a monster year are we are we talking about the this in the same way and that's why i find it hard to to just diagnose whether you know there is something more flawed that bigger picture that needs to be addressed or whether some of this is just the the randomness that exists within baseball you know on the surface i do look at it and think if you get a left-handed impact, left-handed bat in that lineup, that maybe disrupts pitchers and makes it a bit more difficult for them to get in a, you know, that rhythm where they're, you know, fastball in, slider away, and you know, finding success with with that type of formula. But you also look at the group, and it's a pretty good lineup. And if you you did run it back next year, you could very well get better results with the same group. And you know, it's it's interesting because, as you said, there's still so much upside and talent up and down the lineup. And, and I look at it and, look, the rotation has been pretty consistent overall recently. You know, the bullpen's been pretty consistent. And it does seem like, you know, if even two or three of the bats start to click and get hot, that there could still be a, a pretty significant run left in the Blue Jays down the stretch, Shai. 
For sure. And it's also worth noting that <laughs> this lineup is still, even with the ups and downs, and I know it's, it's hard for people to, you know, maybe realize it at times, but it's still among the, the most productive lineups in baseball. You know, it's uh, uh, just looking this up right now. It's the, the seventh highest scoring team in baseball so far this season, you know, and, again, I think that gets lost to some degree because you feel the frustrations on a daily basis, but it is a good offense and there's certainly more than enough upside uh, to carry them through a monster month that they also have nine games with the Tampa Bay Rays. They have uh, another date with the Yankees. They they do have some very tough games remaining on the schedule where it's going to be tough, uh, difficult for them to just sort of run off the, this this massive offensive uh, offensive uh, period, but the town is absolutely there, and the, there is reason to believe that the, this team can take it to another gear. In conversation with Sportsnet Shai Davidi, talking Blue Jays here on Sportsnet 650, Halford and Bruff. Uh Speaking of the bullpen, you know we're hearing reports about Nate Pearson's ongoing rehab and return from injury, and maybe what the next steps would be. Also, I know that Julian Merriweather is pitching in Triple A out of the pen right now. Is there any chance that either of those contribute in a meaning? Either of those players contribute in a meaningful way uh, for the remainder of the season here out of the pen for the Jays? Well, I mean, Merrifield certainly does seem closer. Excuse me, Merriweather certainly does seem uh, closer. And, you know, rosters are going to expand tomorrow. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy who, who's up initially. But, you know, Nate Pearson's there. And uh, that's 100 miles an hour. And he's like, he's this unreachable, this tantalizing 100 mile an hour reliever option that the Blue Jays just can't quite get their hands on. And if this happens to be the period when it clicks, because the talent is there for it to click at some point, if this is it and you know, you add him and, and, and Merriweather can be what he can be, what, what he was last April. And all of a sudden that those are two dynamic forces in the bullpen. So is there a chance? Absolutely. Should you count on it? Absolutely not. Uh, but the, those possibilities exist, and there's this, you know, the Blue Jays are just sort of grasping at both of them, hoping that this might be it, this might be it, this might be it. And, you know, maybe this is it, and, and maybe it's not. Maybe the sample is still small, but uh, we've had a few weeks here of John Schneider as as the manager of this team, and a big part of that is managing the bullpen and, and, and how he uses his relievers, maybe throw Pearson and Merriweather in the mix and it changes things. But has anything stood out uh, trends wise about the way that, that Schneider uses the bullpen? Uh, the, the big one is how, how many times they've extended Jordan Romano. And, you know, last night was the latest example where he went four outs and it's not something that he did very much of in the first half of the season. And part of that, was by design to ensure that you know he'd be in a in a situation where he's able to do this right now and fresh and effective deep into the year. But that was the the seventh time this year, last night, that he went more than one inning. He's gone uh, two innings twice this year, which uh, is the max for him. 
And that's the best weapon the Blue Jays have by far out of the bullpen. And it's been clear that there are certain times John Schneider's just not going to take chances with anyone else. Uh, you know, he certainly could have uh, could have let Trevor Richards face Fred Reyes last night was uh, the potential game-tying run in the eighth inning. But he'd anticipated that situation. Romano was ready in case Reyes did come up with the man on. And there was absolutely no hesitation. So that, that that's the, the piece that sticks out most to me is just how aggressive he's been with, with Jordan Romano. And the fact that Romano keeps bouncing back, too, is, is significant in allowing him to continue doing it. Uh, Shai, just before we let you go, one of the big stories around baseball over the last week was the Seattle Mariners signing the the big, complex, creative extension with Julio Rodriguez. And I know there's always kind of questions that, that bubble up from time to time about whether the Jays at some point are going to consider or go down the road uh, for a big money extension with, you know, some of their young players, but the one that stands out to me is, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, you know, we know the Jays owners, our employers, Rogers, have, have not been shy about spending uh, on the payroll recently with, with Springer and Barrios and Gosman. What are the kind of considerations, and, and do you think that that might be a possibility for some sort of big extension for Vladdy? Well, you could bet that the sides have explored it in some way, shape, or form, you know, whether it's just conceptually or maybe even further along that, you can you can be confident that there have been some type of discussions in and around that. What's happening now is that it's just becoming more and more difficult for the Blue Jays and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., even Bo Bichette, to find that sweet spot between the team taking on risk and the players sacrificing upside because a lot of these extensions uh, have changed. Obviously there was the Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, contract a few years, a couple of years ago, which really set and moved uh, expectations for young players. And then you had the, uh, the Rodriguez deal and then the Wander Franco contract before it that have really set a floor and if you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you're more established. You've got a couple all-star selections. Uh, you've got an MVP runner-up. How are you your, – your number has to be higher than, say, Julio Rodriguez or Wander Franco. And maybe it's beyond Fernando Tatis Jr. And at that point, if you're the Blue Jays, why would you why would you do that now because you're not getting any sort of real discount so you might as well play it out perhaps even to free agency and you know just pay whatever the rate is going to be at that point rather than taking on the potential risks you may face that you know the Padres are certainly seeing right now with uh, Fernando Tatis and what's happened with him so i think for those reasons that that type of contract The window, I don't know if it's passed, but it's becoming more complicated for them to find that comfortable middle ground for both sides. Uh, And I wonder if it, you know, the trend has been to do with, you either, when you do this, you you do this type of deal really early in a player's career. And I don't know that the window's closed because certainly they could find that over the, uh, over the off season, but I definitely think it's become more complicated to, to try and find that, that, that comfort zone. 
Shy, thanks for doing this. We always really appreciate the time. Uh, I'll let you get back to, to covering the roller coaster of it are the Blue Jays right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Shai. That is Shai DeViti, Sportsnet's MLB and Blue Jays insider joining us here on Halford and Brough, Jamie Dodd, and Israel Fair filling in uh, this week for Halford and Brough. And uh, interesting because at a certain point, you do kind of look at it and think, oh, man, isn't it a, a slam dunk? No brainer to lock up Vladdy. Mm-hmm. But when you when you hear Shai lay it out, it's not as simple as, you know, back up the Brinks truck because it has to make sense for both sides. And at this point, as he says, I mean, how much of a discount? What What's the incentive for the Blue Jays at this point to, to do that when you're not necessarily getting a bargain on the player anymore? What stands out about the three other comparables that he made, Rodriguez, Tatis, and Franco, yeah. small market teams. Yeah. The Blue Jays are not a small market team. They have operated at times as a mid-market team, but they are certainly not operating on the lower end they've started to do more of operating as a larger market they have i you know george springer that's a big deal right like the barrios extension they they've haven't been shy of handing out these big deals and then when you look at the teams that are bigger uh the yankees and the red sox specifically the dodgers uh the yankees didn't sign aaron judge no to aaron judge is about to be a free agent and the red sox traded mookie Betts, (laughs) so those teams don't necessarily have to play that game. Now, they, they can, and they might, but I think if you go through, you'll see the trend. The Chicago Cubs could have easily signed Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. and that would have probably proven to be a mistake, but he ultimately ends up becoming a free agent when he was supposed to be a free agent. Um, the The big market teams in baseball do operate with a larger margin of error, I suppose, and the Jays still have control over Vlad for the next number of years. The number for the salary is going to go up because that's the way that the baseball contract system works. But there is not, to, to Shai's point again, it's balancing that, okay, what are we, what, what's the commitment today? Like the Julio Rodriguez c- contract is, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to give you more money for the first right now. six yeah. years or next of year. your career. Yeah. And then you're going to give us more years than we would have to explore or have you run up against free agency. That's that's the the consideration. I will say I I, I felt vindicated somewhat that Shy brought up the 2016 team because I've been making that comparison <laughs> as well. <laughs> so there you uh, go. It's it is that that team was incredibly frustrating. It was a different group, a veteran group. Uh, interesting too, though, that um, one of the things that's been brought up about this team, no left-handed bat, which was the same criticism yeah. made of that team that in 15 incredible offense, best team in baseball. And the year after they ran it back, no left-handed bat teams start to figure that out a little bit. Same thing may be happening with the blue Jays. I tend to think that maybe that stuff's overblown, but now they're, you know, the examples are cropping up mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure that the blue Jays, if they had a legit middle of the order, left-handed bat maybe things are I mean, a it wouldn't little hurt. bit yeah right <laughs> sure it, wouldn't it, hurt it, it would be nice yeah uh 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line it's Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair filling in we've been talking about the best rivalries in sports right now uh based on the Canada US game at the World Championships yesterday some good text coming in I'm surprised we didn't bring this one up is EJ from the loops text in what about Edmonton and Calgary and that is certainly if you're just talking over the last few years and obviously it has the history mm-hmm. going back to the 80s and the early 90s as well yeah the Battle of Alberta has established itself certainly as the the best 
most engaging, most compelling NHL rivalry. I don't think there's any question about that. If you're a casual fan, or, or I shouldn't say a casual fan, but if you're not a fan of either of those two teams, you still feel compelled to watch those games recently because they have been so exciting. Both teams are playing well right now. That's an interesting one, though, because it does feel like it was kind of dormant for a long stretch, right? And and maybe that's just because they went so long without meeting in the playoffs. Maybe it's because both teams were were never that interesting for a long stretch. But for whatever reason, it felt like it really came back in a big way recently. And and there was a long time that as much as I'm sure it was still a big deal in Calgary and Edmonton, it didn't have it didn't have that same cachet outside of Alberta until the last few seasons. Definitely. But it, it, it has come back. I don't know if Matthew Kachuk not being part of the equation is gonna impact Well but you that. plug Nazem Kadri in there. Yeah. yeah you know, true. it might help. <laughs> that's that's true. not a bad replacement. <laughs> he's he's ready made for, for those kind <laughs> yeah. of rivalries. And the other text comes in from Tim from Suck. Best rivalry in sports right now is the PGA versus live golf and that's a really fascinating one because sometimes with rivalries there's so much more about the fans and the cities right and you wonder okay yeah the players there's a little bit of heat there but how invested are they really or is it more just you know fans looking for a chance to talk smack at each other with live and pga and especially the way that Rory McIlroy has stepped Mm -hmm. up and been so vocal about his opposition and his desire to stay with the PGA, promote the PGA, his belief that it's the best tour in the world, that it should be the top tour in the world, you get the sense that it actually does matter to the athletes involved in a way that not every rivalry we talk about does. And, you know, I know some people are maybe a little tired of it. And, oh, look, we all know it's just about the money with Live Golf. But I do think the fact that there seems to be that actual personal beef between the golfers involved, that, that that makes it a little more spicy for me, right? It's not, I don't think it is just a media creation no. or a fan thing. It, it's the guys doing the sport, they seem to really care about it. For sure. It's a, it's a good text and it, there's been some good memes, some good comedy from it, but there's at the core of it, uh, yeah, there's some legit beef. Yeah, no doubt about it. And as I said, Rory McIlroy in particular has, I think, done a lot to spice that up by carrying the flag of the PGA. We have an open segment coming up. So we're going to talk about some Canucks things. There's a really interesting contract handed out in the NHL uh, by the Buffalo Sabres yesterday. We'll talk about that, what that could potentially mean for the Canucks down the road uh, and get into the Bruce Boudreaux conversation a little bit. Again, we're going to be joined by Bruce at eight o'clock today. Uh, Canucks head coach looking ahead to the season, really excited for that chat. What do you think about Bruce Boudreau going into his first full season behind the bench as the Canucks head coach. We'll talk about that and more. It's Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650.